Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, today is going to be kind of the third. Uh, show that we did from All Things Open. And what we tried to do with all these shows was uh, really bring together kind of a diverse set of topics for you. Um, You know, sometimes they're going to be super technology related. Other times they're going to be other aspects that we think you're going to find interesting. So uh, we'll talk about that one just a little bit. Uh, First, we're going to talk about cloud news of the week. So a couple of things that we wanted to talk about this week, just uh, in terms of, you know, Again, trying to keep you up to date on what's going on in the industry and kind of highlight some some big news that may have happened. Um, a little bit of a slow week in terms of M&A. Only about uh, $10 billion of M&A happened this week. Uh, first off was uh, SAP acquired a company called Qualtrics, who is sort of in the survey management business. And I'm, I'm sure I'm shortchanging what they do as uh, $8 billion is a, is a fairly large ticket. Um, they were a company that was just about to go IPO and uh, SAP talked them out of that. So SAP trying to expand out really their, their CRM business uh, with the acquisition of Qualtrics. Uh, the second one was Vista acquired Aptio for just a little over $1.9 billion. Uh, Aptio being a company that uh, is in the cloud management and, and really cloud cost management space. So uh, another example of, of some consolidation happening around that cost management space for cloud, for multi-cloud. We saw um, uh, Cloud Health get acquired earlier this year by VMware, and uh, this one now being acquired by Vistio. So Aptio being acquired by Vistio. And again, um, you know, there can usually only be so many in a certain category. There are still a number of companies in the uh, cloud cost management space that are out there that do a very good job, but uh, some consolidation happening over there. And then finally, sort of the big news of the week, which has a little bit of cloud implications, and some of it is just uh, major players in this space. Um, Amazon finally announced their location for HQ2, and that turned out to actually be HQ2 and HQ3. So uh, they announced that uh, just outside of New York City, uh, Long Island City, uh, as well as Crystal City, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., are both going to be the two locations that have been named as HQ2. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to uh, wrestle and argue over which one is actually HQ2 and which one's HQ3, but uh, definitely brings, you know, a whole new set of uh, locations, people, uh, probably technologists, jobs, and so forth to those two regions, um, two regions that probably didn't need any more traffic than they had before, but uh, they've got it now. So congratulations to both of those. Um, you know, Raleigh was in the running, um, would have been uh, interesting in terms of, uh, you know, us having to compete for massive Cloudcast studio space, but uh, we won't have that problem. So congratulations to both uh, Crystal City and Long Island City uh, for the Amazon HQ2 and HQ3 uh, location announcements. So with that, um, like I mentioned, we are finishing up our third uh, interview and discussion that we had at All Things Open. Aaron had a chance to sit down with Melissa Eggleton, who leads the US UX user experience practice at a sports tech startup called Teamworks that's based here in Raleigh, in, uh, Raleigh, in the Durham area, Raleigh-Durham area. Um, we thought it was really interesting because, you know, a lot of times we talk about the technology that goes on behind the scenes to move bits, networking, storage, automation, all those types of things. And a lot of times we we really never have talked about the user experience. And I know we've talked a little bit about things like voice user experience and some Alexa stuff in the past, but um, Melissa sits down with Aaron and really talks about how do you do design thinking around user experience. Teamworks is a company that, uh, as Aaron will get into with Melissa, they're a company that 
it focuses on how to help sports teams organize themselves. And so if you're a fan of most pro or college sports teams, they're probably working with the, the TeamWorks platform. Um, and Melissa does a really nice job of explaining, you know, kind of what she does and, and the research she does um, in terms of user experience. So um, Aaron's going to go ahead and, uh, and talk about that. But before we get there, we wanted to thank our sponsor for today's uh, Cloudcast News. Today's sponsor is once again, Datadog. Uh, hopefully all of you are getting to know Datadog at this point. Datadog provides deep end-to-end visibility into health performance of, of modern applications. They are um, you know, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform. They were built to provide clarity to complex dynamic applications. And I was looking through their list the other day. Uh, they provide plugins and, and ability to monitor and, and visualize over 258 different types of technologies and things. Um, all of your AWS services, all of your Azure services, all of your Google Cloud services, popular open source platforms, products, and projects, uh, as well as web security and API. So really kind of everything that you have, if it's in your public cloud, in your private cloud, if it's running in a container, wherever it happens to be running today, uh, Datadog can do a great job of helping you you know, visualize it and really help collaborate around trying to make it run better and, and solve team problems and so forth. So if you want to try out Datadog, as we've mentioned before, if you want to try out, uh, give yourself a, a free trial, 14-day free trial, you can go to uh, bit.ly slash Datadog dash Cloudcast. That's bit.ly slash Datadog dash Cloudcast. And not only will you be able to do a 14-day trial, but you'll also be registered to get a free, really awesome, uh, super soft t-shirt uh, with the Datadog logo on it. Uh, it's one that I know we wear around all the time, but uh, definitely take a look. Uh, go take it, go give a test drive, uh, 14 days, uh, set it up with one of your environments, set up a dashboard, get up and running with Datadog, help those folks out. They've been a great sponsor of the show. And with that, I'm going to move along to Aaron's interview with Melissa Eggleton. Okay, we're here at All Things Open 2018 here in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is Aaron again, and unfortunately, Brian was not able to make it today. Um, He had some travel to Mexico, and unfortunately, I don't know, maybe drank the water. I'm not sure. He's not here today. So, But we have a great guest. We have Melissa Eggleston. And Melissa, tell everyone a quick introduction about yourself and a little bit about your talk today. Sure. So... um my name is Melissa Eggleston. I'm the UX director at Teamworks. We are a software company that supports uh, athletic organizations. So it's likely your favorite sports teams are using our software to keep themselves organized, to um, communicate with each other. And I'm going to be talking today about getting started with um, user experience research, which is a uh, you know, user experience in general is a real growing field, and so a lot of people are interested in, like, how can I start doing this, and how can I make sure I build products that people love and want to use and that's kind of some of the things we're going to be touching on today. Fantastic. And, and so I was looking at your, your LinkedIn before we hit record here. And a super interesting like journey and background to getting to this point. So tell everyone a little bit about how you got to this point and how you got interested in this and, and you know got interested in the research side of all of this as well. Yeah. So... Honestly, I ran around in my 20s, like, really with no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Don't we all? <laughs> you know, you're just trying different things, following what was interesting to me and that sort of thing. And I came back um, to North Carolina. I'd been in California for 10 years. And I came back to um, graduate school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I went to their journalism program. I thought maybe I'd be a business journalist based on my background. And while that was really interesting, I did an internship up in um, New York. Um, after about six weeks, was like, this is not for me. <laughs> so I came back into a class that at that time was called multimedia um, design, and which is now called UX design. And at that time, you know, we were doing things like usability testing, and um, we were talking about like 
really thinking about things from the perspective of users and people who are interacting with the different media. And to me, it just it resonated really strongly. So from there, I you know kind of got a job doing communications with, where I got to do everything. I got to use your experience. I was shooting videos. I was running around doing audio recordings just like this. Um, and more and more just kind of moving into user experience because as somebody who was a communicator who was really focused on content in the beginning coming from journalism, you start to realize like we need to be thoughtful about what we're providing, when we're providing it, how we're providing it, that sort of thing. And you can only get that by actually talking to people and getting that kind of feedback. And that is what user research is all about. It's about getting feedback from people. It's that willingness to be wrong, that your great idea might actually be a horrible idea, and you just need to talk to somebody who will help set you on the right path. And so tell us a little bit more about the, that research portion specifically like because to me this is beyond fascinating because yeah I've, uh, you know I've I've worked for a number of software companies over the years and I'll be honest with you some of them have struggled in this area to put it mildly and usually it is more of like hey the engineers design something they put it out there and everyone throws up all over it and then they <laughs> fix it until it's barely good enough right and so this is coming at it from the cl- complete opposite end of the spectrum I have a computer science background. You know, I'm used to the engineer side of all of this. Yeah. So so user experience is just a whole different mindset, honestly. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So, you know, in school, whether you're an engineer or, or otherwise, you're always, like, trying to be right. You're trying to come up with, like, the, what is the right answer? And it's not typically, you know, you don't say, I don't know a lot. You, you're, like, kind of coming up with solutions. You and, never use the words, it feels like this is right. Yeah. <laughs> and... And user experience comes from the place of, like, what we're going to build is it's likely going to be wrong. Like, but we're going to put something out there quickly, and we're going to get um, feedback on it, and we're going to iterate on it. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it better make it better. And that is just really different than how most people are trained. You know, most people are trained and are worried about making mistakes and are like, if we put something out that's not perfect or it isn't really good, you know, maybe it won't work. And so we spend a lot of time before getting the feedback we really need. Because sometimes you can make something that's really beautiful and totally useless, Right. Like, great. The interaction's wonderful, but actually nobody wants that product or that's, you know, website doesn't fit the needs of the users. And you can't figure that out until you actually interact with the users. But you can figure it out on paper and you can figure it out with designs and doing research first before you start going into the code, which is really expensive than having to change that. Yeah. And, and how do you go about gathering, you know, like the sample sizes you need? I'm sure there's like a critical mass, right, of where it's this research is good research. But you have to go find those people. Yeah, you do have to go find those people. And and there's things like analytics on a website or an app that can certainly give you lots of information. You get um, you get to see, like, how extensive is this problem? You know, nobody's getting to this page. Gosh, 10,000 people aren't getting to this page every month. You know, they don't even realize it exists or, or this screen. So that's one way we do it is through analytics. But you can also find tons of usability problems and issues with a website with just testing with, like, six or eight people. Because if you think about this thing of um, if something's a problem for a few people, it tends to be a problem for a number of people. So if we built a bridge and it was built poorly and we started sending cars across it, and let's say a car goes across and falls right off the bridge. Oh, my goodness. So that would be a problem. We send another one across. It falls off the bridge, too. Okay. Then you send a third car across. It goes off as well. So we have three cars that have fallen off the bridge. At some point, you're like, are we going to wait for there to be 500 cars that fall off the bridge? (laughs) Or are we just going to stop there? You know, And that's an analogy from Jared Spool, who's somebody, if you want to learn more about UX, um, I think Jared Spool is a great resource for you to um, look up from videos and talks of his. Oh, cool. And and so 
if I could maybe summarize it a little bit too, it seems like it is a combination of both user feedback, mm-hmm. but then also analytics of, you know, are they getting to where, you know, a little like breadcrumb journey. Um, and it reminds me of, so I was at AWS conference a number of years ago and I had a, like one of those rare pockets of free time and I kind of pulled up the agenda and um, there is a, an app on Alexa called the magic door. And it's like this go through an adventure kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And he was actually telling everyone he designed it from scratch. And it was all free time. He was an AWS employee. And he said, you know, he was talking all about, yeah, you want him to go down this journey. And he he would get to a certain point. He's like, oh, like only like 10% of the people went to this next step. Why? And he would go back and he'd be like, okay, there's a problem. And I have to go back and fix, you know, the code or the entry for that step. And so it seems like it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Right. It's a little bit of science, mm-hmm. but a little bit of, of feeling and, and you know, uh, your direct eyes and opinions as well. Yeah, it's definitely uh, both. It's kind of a mixed methods kind of research area, right? So it's not like scientists in lab coats. It is, you know, watching people, what they actually do, because people will say they do one thing and then do another, and they don't even realize they're doing that. But people kind of accidentally lie because they just aren't <laughs> aware of what's going on. Sure. So that observation is really important. And then the analytics comes into play, the server logs, that sort of thing, to kind of see, like, what is the scope of this issue? You know, is it really affecting a lot of people? Are people missing certain areas? So you combine different methods in research, and it's a really fun job to have because it's important. But sometimes, you know, especially in smaller companies, it can just be a really small part of your job. Like once a month, we're like, hey, we need to do some research. Just once a month. We need to just make sure we're on the right track, get feedback, that sort of thing. You can find more problems in an afternoon. It can take you months to fix all the problems, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Finding the problems is, is the easiest part? It, it, I would agree. It's yeah. yeah, I would say that finding the problems is really the easiest part. And then persuading everybody that you really need to fix the problems, that is the hard part of user experience. <laughs> you think it Fair should enough. be like, oh, for sure, yeah. everybody will fix everything. It's not how it works. Yeah. Compl- it's uh, limited resources, limited time. Exactly. Is that the most important thing they could be focusing on? Exactly, yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about that today, too. There's a, there's a bit of a... I find that um, sometimes user experience professionals can be a little naive in kind of the business world we live in, in, in terms of what's really going to happen. Is it a little bit of like, oh, well, you know, that it's it's very obvious. Just go fix that. It's easy. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's a little bit of that. And, I, you know, I was certainly, um, I did it too. I call it the Elmo error. You know, it's this naivete of like, just like little Elmo, that furry red monster on, on Sesame Street that... Like, la, 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 everything's great. And if we just, like, find these problems, everybody will want to fix them. And, and that's just not exactly how it works. Well, so, you know, obviously there's the challenges there of, okay, you've identified something and it may or may not be fixed at mm-hmm. any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other most common challenges to folks that are maybe, like, new to this space? Right. Like if you're, you know, you obviously have an extensive amount of experience here and, and part of your talk is how do you, you know, what are some of the resources and where can you go learn and things like that? But if it's what are kind of the pitfalls or traps of somebody new to this area? Yeah. So I think it's really easy to focus on like the tools, like, oh, I need to know this tool or that tool or that sort of thing. And yes, it's important to learn tools, but you know, you can do that online with webinars and that sort of thing. It's really of the soft skills of being able to persuade stakeholders this is really an important issue and this could really have impact on our bottom line and kind of having those kinds of conversations, having the confidence to have those kinds of conversations that is really important. And that I think when you're new, you just don't realize that you just think, Oh, everybody's just going to see this how I see it. Whereas I have product managers will say, show me why that's important. Like prove it to me. Right. And I'm like, Oh, 
You can make me prove it to you. I thought it was just obvious, yes. you know. Um, and, and that's the naivete I'm talking about that we need to work through and just be more savvy, I think, as professionals. Yeah. And, and you know, without sh- maybe sharing customers or anything like that, but what are some of the, you know, like what's a big example of something that really moved the needle of like you made this kind of thing and it changed you know, you made X change and it, it modified Y or right? like some really big thing. Yeah, yeah. Too. So we were having a challenge with um, our signups. So Teamworks is a company, um, this is the startup I work at, that's growing. And so we're sp- starting to get more and more customers who are on our platform through multiple organizations. So, you know, you're doing it because you're the San Francisco 49ers and you're also, you know, on the um, NFLPA site as well. So you're able to access Teamworks through multiple organizations. You need to be able to when you get invited to a new organization, you've got to sign in with your same kind of Teamworks login, right? Oh. Instead of creating separate logins, right? It's one platform just with different organizations using it. And we were running into issues of people not merging their accounts. So they would not be able to switch between accounts and that sort of thing. And it was really just this one screen where we just need to make it more obvious, I already have an account and I can just use those credentials to get right. in. Right. So it's really a matter of like reordering this screen. And we didn't, there were lots of other things I would love to do design wise. And so would my VP of product, but it didn't make sense for us to do it right now. So mm-hmm. we were just like, what is the smallest fix we can make to stop all these calls to support yes. where people <laughs> say, I can't figure out how to log into my other organization yeah. now. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so tell us a little bit more about the platform then. What is mm-hmm. the platform and what does it do? Yeah. So the platform keeps athletic organizations organized, right? So it came out of um, Duke football. It's Duke, okay. a nerdy Duke football player made it. That's, uh, that's what he says. He calls himself nerdy. Uh, and he made it because uh, their team just wasn't on the same page at that point in time, right? And you can imagine that if you have 100-something people on a team, plus all the people supporting that person, the, those people who are trying to win games, there's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of communication involved. And so since then, we've expanded and have all kinds of teams, about 45 pro teams in different leagues, as well as 1,800 Division One schools. So volleyball teams, football teams, basketball teams. They That's, all need to stay organized, right? That's fantastic. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so... Kind of last question then, and, and maybe a lead into the talk later today. If this is interesting to folks, how can folks get started? What are some kind of resources? You, you mentioned kind of in the abstract for your talk, you know, lots of free resources kind of things. And so what is your recommendations? Yeah. So during my talk, I'll talk about a number of different um, books and locations online where you can find stuff. And actually on my blog, it's, it's Melissa Egg just egg.com and there's a blog section I, I've got all the resources there from all things open that'll still be available so there's plenty of free resources to learn through UX pin through Envision um, these are companies that provide products but also provide tons of free learning which is awesome there's of course the the classic don't make me think book by Steve Krug which is like the UX 101 thing if, if somebody hasn't read that I'm like you've got to read this book it's a book I reread about every other year just to keep it fresh Five, five hours. It takes about five hours. It's worth reading. Very nice. So okay. things like that. Very cool. Well, Melissa, where can everyone, obviously other than your blog, where else can everyone find you, find out more about what you have going on and what you have coming up? Yeah. Um, typically, you can you can find me certainly online at melissaegg.com. You can find me on Twitter and you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time. Fantastic. Melissa, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for allowing me to talk about this. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. Media.